Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, now as we come to this time of our service today, we worship you, Lord, by hearing your word. And Lord, I pray just that, Lord, that you would use me today, that you would work through me, Lord, to deliver your word, not my word, not my opinion, but your word. Make me small and make your word big. And Lord, give us all ears to hear your word, to understand it and know how it applies to our own lives. Lord, so that we, we may live a life that is honoring to you. So bless us today, I pray. In Christ's name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, continuing our study in 1 Corinthians, learning how to be a countercultural. As a church, we're called to be countercultural, uh, not being like the culture around us, but uh, showing God's way of life, living the way God has called us to live. So today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And we're looking at the, the characteristics or the features of a faithful minister today. Now, a minister's success is often judged by many different, many different criteria in our world today. Uh, often he is judged by the size of his church, how he leads his staff, how many degrees he has on his wall, uh, how many followers he has on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever the social media platform of the day is. But all of these criteria are human criteria. They're not God's criteria. So as a church, we should not be so interested in what the world says makes up a successful minister, but we should look to what God says is the criteria of a successful minister. And that's what we see here in our text today. God's criteria of a successful minister is far different from our culture's criteria. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with a situation in which he and his, his ministry is being judged by the church according to human criteria of success, his popularity, his rhetorical skill, uh, his presence before his people, etc., etc. Paul and Apollos and Peter are being judged by hum human standards, by cultural standards. But Paul wants to correct that view. He wants the church at Corinth to understand what, what God's criteria of a successful minister truly is. The church is to be countercultural. They are to be countercultural, even in their assessment of their ministers. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul sets out the biblical features of a faithful minister. So today we're going to see four features of a faithful minister. Four features of a faithful minister. His identity, his requirement, his attitude, and his evaluation. And in this, we're going to discover that a faithful minister lives for the glory of God. 
just a big summary statement. A faithful minister lives for the glory of Christ. And I'll just be honest, this has been humbling this week, studying this passage, this text of Scripture, as it applies so much to me. And so uh, I pray that we are edified this morning from this text. If you found your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation, commendation, excuse me, commendation from God. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. We see here the first feature of a faithful minister is his identity. His identity, who he is. I mean, we think about a person's identity. Uh, uh, we often identify people with their career or with their position in a family as a, a father as a mother, as a child, as an engineer, as a veterinarian, as a, uh, a businessman, as a banker. We have these kinds of identities. Well, a minister has an identity as well. And, and Paul shows a twofold identity, two characteristics or, or two identities that the minister of God holds. First, his identity is a servant of Christ and a steward of God's Word. A minister is, first and foremost, a servant of Christ and a steward of God's Word. Now, let's just take both of those terms uh, as they come. This is how one should regard us, Paul says. This is how you should think of us, talking of, of himself and Apollos and, and Peter as ministers to the church. Here's how you should think of us, Right? Uh, they've been thinking of them in cultural terms as rhetoricians. Uh, the society in that day were, were big on re uh, rhetoric. And they had the philosophers who came through and, and they were well versed in rhetoric. And so uh, they judged people by how well they spoke. Their presence before a crowd, the, the, the structure of their argument, all of these types of things. And so they were trying to, to pin this cultural identity on them as rhetoricians. But Paul says, no, no, no. We're not the latest and greatest philosopher to come through town. That's not how we identify. We are, first and foremost, we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And so we take that and we think about that. First of all, servants of Christ. A minister is a servant of Christ. 
the word that Paul uses here, this is kind of interesting. Uh, the, the term he uses is huperetes. Huperetes. Now, why that is so interesting, because this, this term that he uses, this Greek term that he uses for servant here, it is not, it's not a popular term in the New Testament. It's rarely used in the New Testament. In fact, Paul only uses it one time, and this is where he uses it. In all of his letters, and all the other texts of Scripture that Paul wrote, this is the only place that he uses this term. Typically, the, the Greek term that is used is uh, diakonos. Diakonos, you, you should be familiar with that. That's the term from which we get our term deacon. And, and so uh, these two terms are synonymous, right? They both mean a servant. Uh, but with synonyms, uh, though they are interchangeable, there's usually nuance between the two terms. And, and that's what we see here. Though they are synonymous, they're, they're, there's a nuance here that I think that's why Paul is using this term instead of using diakonos, which he used earlier in 1 Corinthians. He, he sees a nuance to this term that he really wants to emphasize about the minister of Christ. It's a, the, the word, huperites, it means one who functions as a helper Notice this, in a subordinate capacity. In a subordinate capacity. Now, a diakonos, a servant diakonos, is one who serves, who gets things done on someone else's behalf. But, but this huperetes, the emphasis here is on that subordinate capacity. He serves in a subordinate capacity. He is a subordinate of Christ. And that's what Paul is really trying to bring out. A, a minister, he is not his own man. He is a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. He is just simply doing what Christ has called him to do, and that's it. A minister of Christ is one who is a servant of Christ. Christ has giving, given him a message to deliver. He's delivering the message. He has got a job to do, and he is doing that job. In other words, these people are putting this, these pastors, these ministers up on a pedestal. They're putting them, they're exalting them to this high position. And Paul, Paul says, don't do that. We're not to be exalted. We're no one. We're servants. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. That's it. So regard us not as this exalted personality Regard us as servants, as slaves simply sent here to do a job for the Lord. That's what we are. We're nothing to look up to. We're nothing to exalt. We're slaves of Jesus Christ accomplishing our task. That's it. Man, people so often have a, a tendency to exalt pastors put pastors up on a, on a shelf somewhere. They exalt them. In fact, uh, I'll be honest, I don't like the, the, the uh, term reverend, right? If people ask me, I don't say anything if people call me reverend, but if, if I'm ever asked, what, what, what title do you like? Do you like reverend? No, no, don't give me reverend. Because reverend is one to be revered. You see, that's what that term means. I'm not one to be revered. Only Christ is to be revered. He's the only reverend. I'm Brother Richard, that's it. I'm just a servant of Jesus Christ, nothing more. Don't put me on a pedestal. 
I'm a slave. Just doing a job for Christ. So a minister of God, a minister of Christ, is a servant of Christ, but he's also a steward of God's word. Now, Paul uses that term, a steward of the mysteries of God. And we've seen this this term before back over in in chapter 2. Chapter 2, he says there in verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. The same term is used there, mysterion, that your Greek term mysterion. It's talking about the mysteries of God, but he's not talking about a mystery that's still a mystery, right? It's not something that's hidden and we got to go dig and try to find it. No, this is a mystery of God that was once a mystery, but it has now been revealed by God. We couldn't find it. We couldn't discover it on our own, but God has revealed that. It was a mystery when you think about the Old Testament and look back to the Old Testament, the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, the redemption in Christ. In the Old Testament, it was a mystery. It was hidden. There were images of it. There were illusions of it. There were shadows of it. We see it at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when when God tells Eve and the serpent, he says to the serpent, uh, your offspring, your seed will strike the seed of the the, the woman on the heel, but he, her seed, will strike your head, will crush your head, will d- deliver a fatal blow to the, your, your seed. In other words, that was an allusion to Jesus Christ who would be bruised by sin, bruised by death, but then he was raised again, delivering the crushing blow to sin and death. See, that was an illusion. It was a mystery. The, 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 the illusion was there. The shadow was there. But now we have the fulfillment of that. We, the mystery has been revealed. We see Christ in the, the Old Testament law, in the ceremony, in all the, the temple worship of the Old Testament. All of that is to point us to Christ, but it was a, a shadow. It was a mystery how that would work out in the Old Testament. But now the mystery has been revealed in the new. So in other words, what Paul is saying, we are stewards of the Word of God, what God has revealed in His Word. That's what he's getting at. We're stewards. Now, what is a steward? A steward in New Testament times was one who managed a household. So you would have a a servant, a slave in your house, who was very responsible, who, who had certain skills, and, and the master of the house would set the steward, set this slave over his household to manage his household. And that's what a steward was. He was one who was set in place by his master to manage the household. We see Jesus refer to this in uh, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, or actually Luke chapter 12, excuse me. Luke chapter 12 Verse 42, Luke 12, 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? That's, that's the same word there that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians. Uh, who is the faithful and wise steward whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. In other words, he was to take the, the food of the house and distribute it to the, the rest of the servants in the, the master's household and to his family and everyone else. And so they were to manage, 
They were to administer on behalf of their master. And so Paul says a minister is one who stewards the word of God. It's not his word, right? It's not his message. It's God's word. And all he is to do, all I am to do as your pastor is to give you the word of God. To take God's word and say, here's, the, here's what the Lord says. Here, here's what this text means. And then here's how it applies to us today. Here's, here's how we can understand this and, and apply it to our own lives. That's what a steward does. That's what I am to do as a pastor, as a steward of God's word. That's my primary responsibility. That's my primary responsibility is to steward, to hand out, to give you God's word. To give you God's word. Now, I remember early in my ministry, uh, as a young pastor coming up, uh, I remember another pastor, an older gentleman, who gave me some advice. And I remember, this stuck with me. He said that the preaching, preaching is a minor part of the pastoral ministry. Preaching is a minor part of the pastoral ministry. Not according to God's word. Not according to God's word. Now, that's not the only thing, right? I've got other responsibilities as a pastor. There's pastoral care. There's pastoral counseling. uh, There's leadership in the church. There's those things. But that's not the primary Throughout Scripture, not just here, but throughout Scripture, we see the primary purpose of the pastor is to preach the Word of God, to administer the Word of God. That's why Jesus, when he comes to Peter, says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Tend my flock. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you get that? Feed my sheep. That's give them my word, deliver to them the the nourishment of my word, preach to them, educate them in my word, tend my flock, yes, care for them, protect them from dangers and, and lead them in the way they are to go. But then he comes back, feed them. Twice, feed them, feed them, because if you're not fed with the word of God, you're gonna dry up. You're going to be anemic. The primary purpose of a pastor is to feed the sheep, to preach the word of God. The faithful minister is a steward of God's word. He is a steward of God's word. He's a servant of Christ and a steward of God's word. Second, we see his, uh, we see his identity But second, we see his requirement, his requirement, what is required of him. His requirement is to be a faithful steward of God's word. He is to be a faithful steward of God's word. Look at verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, when it came to preaching... The Corinthians, they required rhetorical skill, that they were good 
public figures and good public speakers. They required that. But, and, and then even our culture, especially in our culture, we think of a, of a minister of God's Word as one who, he has to be a great entertainer because we're so well entertained in our society. We have entertainment on TV. We have entertainment at the movie theater. We have entertainment in football and basketball and baseball. We're entertained, 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 entertained. And, and if you don't entertain, well, you, you just can't keep people's attention. That's the thought pattern. And, and so much in our culture requires pastors to be and ministers of God's Word to be great entertainers. And so if you can tell a good joke from the pulpit, hey, good for you. If you're good at telling stories, if you're good at illustrating, if you keep their attention and entertain the people, then you are a successful minister. But that's not what Paul says. A minister is not judged on how well he entertains. He's, in, he's judged by the way he, he is faithful in his stewardship and his proclamation of God's word. A faithful, steward, a faithful minister must be a faithful steward of God's word. Well, what does that mean to be a, a faithful steward of God's word? Well, Paul tells Timothy this. He, he exhorts Timothy to do this. Timothy chapter two, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, as one who is faithful, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And here's what he defines as a worker, a, a preacher, a minister, who has no reason to be shamed, ashamed before God, one who is rightly handling the word of truth. One who rightfully handles the word of truth. I think the King James or other versions says, says it like this, rightly dividing the word of truth. That is, one who's, who's, who's giving, delivering the word faithfully and truthfully. Who, who's dividing it up and making it where, where you can understand it and grasp it and, and take it in and, uh, and apply it to your own life. That's the minister's job. And if a pastor is faithful, he is rightly handling the word of truth. Now here is the problem. Here is the problem. There are many who, I've heard, and I've heard this from pastors, even go to some of these great pastors' conferences and hearing preachers supposedly preaching the word and they quote their text and they, they read their text and then they depart from their text never to come back to it. And what they end up giving, they end up springing off of a text of Scripture to give the people their opinion, their ideas. Let me tell you, my opinion matters. <laughs> it don't matter. It don't make a flip. What I think about things doesn't make a flip. Who cares what Richard Gamble thinks about the world and, and the things in it? Who cares what I think about, uh, about uh, 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 sexual identity? Who cares what I think about morality? Who cares what I think about uh, the economy, about any of these things? What matters to you is not what I think. What matters to you is what God thinks and what he has revealed to us in his word. Therefore, a faithful minister is one who faithfully stewards the word of God, who says, here's the text. 
Here's what this text means. Here's how you apply it to your life. Thus saith the Lord. Not thus saith me. Thus saith the Lord. So a faithful minister is one who is faithful to study God's word. It requires faithful study. And I know for me, that's, that's an easy thing because that's, that's my bread and butter. I, I love to get into my study and to t- dig into God's Word and study, study, study. And I could get lost in my study. I could stay there all day and, and not come out. That's, that's me. That's my personality. And so that's the easy part for me. For other people, it's not so easy. I understand that. Other people, they, they have a hard time doing that. But if they're a minister of God's word, that's that sacrifice they've got to make. They've got to get in there. They've got to study because they've got to be faithful students of God's word. They've got to dig into it. They've got to understand it themselves. I have to understand it myself before I can teach it to you. So they have to be faithful in the study, but they also have to be faithful in the pulpit. I'm not standing up here and telling you what I think, but telling you what God thinks. What God says is true. And God's word is true. It is truth. And so it's delivering the word of God, handling it and dividing it, rightly dividing it and giving it to you. And I pray to God every time that I stand in this pulpit that I'm a faithful steward of his word. So a faithful steward, we've seen his requirement, we've seen his identity. My pages are all turned around here. Third, we see his attitude. We see his attitude. His attitude is Christ centered. The faithful minister's attitude is Christ-centered. Now, our attitude typically is man-centered. That's all of us, every one of us. Our attitude typically is a man-centered attitude. In other words, what I'm saying here is that we feed off of other people's opinions about us. Right? We care about what people think about us. And so when, when people uh, tell us, good job, well, awesome, that's great, and we feel good about ourselves. And, and here's the thing, we can, have, we can do a job and have 100 people tell us how good of a job that we did, but then we have one negative criticism, and what happens? We're just torn down. 100 people, great job, wonderful job. One person, that was just terrible. What were you thinking? We go hide in our bed and pull the covers over our head because we are so drawn to people's opinions of ourselves. Our whole attitude, our whole way of life is driven by what other people think. But a faithful minister of God's word, and this is hard. Let me tell you, this is hard. His attitude must not be man-centered. It must be Christ-centered I love this, what Paul says this. This is just just profound. Look what he says there in verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, for me, I don't care what you think. You're trying to put me and Apollos and Peter in this competition, and you're, uh, some of you say I'm doing a great job. Some of you saying, well, Apollos is a much better speaker than Paul, and you're trying to exalt Apollos over me and all of this. And I don't care. 
I don't care what you think. It doesn't matter what you think. That's just absolutely profound. When you can come to that position and say, I don't care what people think about me. But not only that, he he doesn't even stop there. Look what he says next. Next he says this, in fact, I do not even judge myself. I do not even judge myself. Because we do tend to have a high opinion of ourselves, don't we? We kind of go through the the fluctuation of that as well. So, you know, we wake up and we think, oh, man, I'm the man. I'm I'm the woman. I'm the person, right? I'm God's gift. And then by the end of the day, man, I'm just scum. All right, we go through all the emotions. We, we, we exalt ourselves. We crush ourselves. We, we do all of that. We, we have, and we typically have a higher opinion of ourselves often than we should have. But Paul says, I, I don't even care about what I think of myself. I've got to put that on the back burner. I, I can't let that drive me. Uh, because my opinion, your opinion, and my opinion are, are sinful opinions. They are, they are stained by sin. So your opinion, my opinion, doesn't matter. What does he say? It really matters. Uh, whose opinion does matter? He says that in verse 4. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. The one whose opinion matters most is the Lord's opinion, is Christ's opinion. And dear friend, this doesn't just apply to me as a pastor, as a minister, it also applies to you. As I stand up here and I preach God's word, God's word offends people. It's offensive because it attacks our flesh, it attacks the culture around us, the sinful culture around us it offends and when we stand as christians in our culture that that lives in opposition to the word of god to god when we live in such a way that that people see that in us our lives will offend and if you care what they think over what christ thinks then you're going to compromise you're going to compromise You're going to compromise on your morality. You're going to compromise on the things of God. Just like if I care more about what you think and the culture thinks than what God says, then I'm going to compromise in the pulpit and I'm going to make uh, adjustments to his word to fit the culture. We can't do that. I can't do that as a pastor. You can't do that as a church. Our attitude must be Christ-centered. We have to care more about what Christ thinks than what the world around us thinks. So we've seen, his, we've seen a, a faithful minister's identity. We've seen his requirement. We've seen his attitude. Finally, we see his evaluation. His evaluation. A faithful minister's evaluation will be by Christ and based on on his motives and ministry. His evaluation will be by Christ and based on his motivations in ministry. Now, we've already talked about the the by Christ part, but look what he says there in verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. That is the time when Christ returns, the day of the Lord when he returns. Before the Lord comes, he says, 
who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In other words, there's coming a day when Christ will return. I'll stand before him. You will stand before him. As followers of Jesus Christ, we will not stand before him and be judged by by what we do, good or bad, against God. We are justified in Christ alone, but we will stand before Christ and be judged for what we do in his name what we do with the life that he has given us in him, whether we live for his glory or his shame. Each one, not just me, but each one will have to stand before God and before Christ and give an account for what we have accomplished in his name. I will have to stand before God. I'll have to stand before Jesus Christ. And answer for every word that I have ever spoken from this pulpit. You don't think that weighs heavy on me? It weighs heavy. And I pray to God that I never say a vain word. That I never misguide anyone. But each one of us will stand before him and give an account. Each one. And notice what he says. Not only will we judge for what we do, but we will be judged mainly for why we did it. Notice what he says there. When the Lord comes, he will bring light to the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. In other words, it's not just that I preach the word correctly. Or you do good deeds that you feed the hungry and you, you, you take care of those who are oppressed. It's not just that doing that action, but it's why you did it. Did he preach because he wanted to make a name for himself? Did he preach because he wanted fame? Did he preach for money? Or did he preach for my glory? Did you feed the hungry for your honor? Did you feed the hungry for your name's sake? Did you you help the oppressed because uh, you wanted to be exalted? Because you wanted recognition? Because you wanted a pat on the back? Or did you do those things for the glory of Jesus Christ? In the end, that's what matters. You live your life for so many things, for other people's opinions, for your own opinion, for yourself. But do you live for the glory of Jesus Christ? Dear friend, that's what matters. And when you stand before Jesus, you might have a lot of great things that you did in your life. But what he's going to count is what you did for his glory. And what you did for his glory will receive great reward. But everything else will burn away as we learned a few Sundays back. Our evaluation, whether it be a pastor or you as a church member, our evaluation is not through one another. It will be before Jesus Christ. And it will be by our motives, for our motives of why we do do the things that we do. Are your motives correct? 
are your motives to honor and glorify his name. A faithful minister lives for the glory of God and Christ. And let me just end with this. What's good for the goose is good for the candor. Right? Now, all of this message is, I know it's, it's geared at the minister, but what's good for the minister is good for you. Are you a faithful servant of Christ? You, my friend, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you too are a servant of Jesus Christ. Are you a faithful steward of the gifts that he has given you to, to be used in the church, to be, be uh, used for the edification of this church? Are you being faithful in that? Are you stewarding that wisely so that other people benefit from your gifts? Are you, a faith, are you faithful to the Word of God? Not only to study it, but to apply it to your life, to live it out before a lost and dying world. Is your attitude Christ-centered or is it man-centered? Are you living for the day that you will stand before Jesus Christ knowing that you will not only be judged for your actions but for your motives? Are you living for the glory of Jesus Christ? All of us, I know, can use a little work. All of our motives are stained with a little bit of sin because of, of this body of flesh that we live in. Oh, but dear friend, look to Jesus. Ask Him to help you today. Maybe you feel that. Maybe you feel, Lord, I have, I've, not, I've been living for other folks' opinion. I've been doing all of this so that other people can pat me on the back. Repent today and pray that He would give you an attitude that is Christ-centered. That you might live for his glory and surrender to his word. To live it out faithfully and truthfully. I know today certainly there are, are those who you're here today and you, you've never trusted in Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you know you're living for the world because you're of the world. But maybe today something has stirred your heart and you, you know that you need to, to give your life to Jesus. And I want to invite you to trust in Jesus today. He died on the cross for you. And he was raised again so that you might have salvation in him. And if you'll trust in him, he will save you. He will redeem you. And he will give you a new life in him. Will you trust him today? Oh, Heavenly Father, Father, I'll just be honest, as a, a pastor called to this, this place to, to preach your word, Lord, I know that uh, how often I fail, how often I, I allow my own attitude or the attitude of others toward me to to sidetrack me. But Lord, I pray that you would give me strength to live for your glory and your glory alone. And Lord, as a, a people, as your church, Lord, we, each and every one of us, we should live for your glory and your glory alone. 
But Lord, we recognize our own weakness and we just pray for your strength, your spirit to strengthen us that we may honor and glorify your name every day. Now these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.